today about waiting on the reward. Waiting on the reward. Here you have Jesus beginning what is uh, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the High Place, but this is one of uh, what they call Jesus' five discourses. Uh, he has some very important um, sermons that are highlighted. And, and uh, while I'm here talking about this, uh, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John, all tell their story. They all tell what, you can tell each one has a, has a, a, a What's important to them? Uh, Mark is quick and to the point. It's the shortest of all the gospels. Uh, and in that gospel, the disciples don't always get it. Sometimes you see Jesus getting just a little bit angry with the disciples and, and telling them what needs to happen and what needs to go on. And the gospel, according to Luke, was written by a doctor. So when he talks about Jesus healing the sick, he talks about the bones getting strengthened and him being able to walk. And, and the gospel, according to John, is letting us know that Jesus is God. Amen. And also that G, uh, John is Jesus' favorite disciple. Hmm. It's very rare he'll say that, that he, uh, Jesus told John, he'll say, Jesus told the disciple whom Jesus loved. And they all have their own stories and they all have their own way about it. And Matthew is, is uh, while it's first in the gospel, it's not the oldest. The oldest one is Mark. Mm -hmm. uh, that one was written around about 40 years after Christ's uh, death and resurrection. And then uh, uh, Luke and Matthew were written about 70 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And uh, well, closer to 50 to 60 years and they say that the gospel, according to John, was written about 100 years after, but uh, I don't necessarily think that's true, and a lot of scholars agree with me, because there was a real big war in 70 uh, A.D., and, and uh, nobody talks about it. Uh, they ransacked the temple and ousted all the people of God, and, and it was a massive war. The, the Romans really took it to them, and nobody talks about it, and so that's why scholars say that it's written before then. Uh, but I said all that to say that Matthew has some things it likes. And Matthew is very favorable to the church. And so that's why, because it's favorable to the church, when the church got together to decide which gospel would go first in the New Testament, they picked the one that was favorable to the church. Amen. Amen. And so it's divided up into these five discourses, and you have the Sermon on the Mount in 5 and through 7, and then you have the, the missionary discourse, as they would call it, that comes in Matthew 10, where he tells the disciples what to do, and he has a bunch of parables that he tells in, verse, in chapter 13, and then he tells the church how the church is supposed to operate in Matthew 18, and then he talks about what's going to happen in the end times in Matthew 23 through 25. Because he's talking about the, the, the end times and they call that the Olivet Discourse. So at least I learned something in seminary. Amen. Amen. 
But we have these things, and one of the things that I like about uh, uh, Matthew is he often says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Amen. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm -hmm. uh, we've gotten in the habit of talking about Jesus right. as Christians, mm -hmm. but Jesus talked about the kingdom. He talked about the kingdom and the kingdom had certain rules that needed to be followed. Certain things that needed to be taken care of. And while we haven't had the, the experience of living under a king, there are those that have. And they say that one of the, 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 um, one of the, the, the markers of whether or not a king is doing a good job is how well the people under the king are being treated. Mm. All right. Mm. And so he has this sermon on the mount where he takes the multitude on the mountainside and he talks to them and he tells them that blessed, blessed are the poor in the spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted because of the righteousness blessed. Uh, it means more than an emotional state. It's represented by the word happy. It's when you're blessed, it's your spiritual well-being. Having the approval of God and thus a happier destiny. Yeah. I'm reminded of Psalm 1 where it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, or stands in the path of the sinners. And in law he meditates day and night, and he shall be a tree planted by the rivers of water. Amen. My wife's been doing a lot of gardening at home. And, and I'm beginning to understand the difference between something planted and something potted. <laughs> when something is planted, it's next to a source and it's constantly drawing from it. Amen. When something is potted, you got to wait on somebody else to come by and feed you and nourish you. And so when we talk about being blessed and meditating on the law day and night and being like a tree planted by the rivers of water, we have to connect to the source ourselves. Don't just depend upon the man that's paid to preach on Sundays. Have our own relationship with the Lord. Blessed, blessed, blessed. This is not anything new. Its format is all over the Bible. You get out of it what you put into it. If you don't feed the plant, the plant dies. Yeah, if you do feed the plant, the plant grows and produces fruit, yeah. produces more like it. Amen. So we look at these beatitudes and these other passages of scripture for some metaphorical or allegorical understanding, but sometimes the text is as plain as day in some parts. If you do this, you get this. Mm -hmm. If you don't do this, you don't get this. Uh, blessed are the poor in the spirit. God blesses those who realize they have a need for him. Uh, now there are some scholars that argue about it saying poor in spirit and they'll say that that was added. Because the gospel according to Luke says blessed are the poor. And there's a difference between being materially poor and being spiritually poor. Both need God, but they're not the same. 
the poor in spirit are those who need and have this desperate cry from help towards the Lord. And when you have that desperate cry to the Lord, the kingdom of heaven is going to be given to them. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, when he talks about those who are mourned and they will be comforted, this is not just people who have lost somebody. Scholars say, actually, when he talks about those who are mourning in the text here, those who are mourning because of the injustice in the world. Amen. He talks about those who are mourning because of the evil in the world, the failure of mankind to give proper glory to God. See, we live in a broken world. We look at the fall of man and Adam and Eve, and we look at that, and some of us stop at the point that it separates us from heaven. But the fall of man did not just separate us from heaven, it messed up all of creation. Amen. It made everything contaminated. And so we have a people who are fundamentally good, but are in a contaminated world. Uh, use an example as a, uh, it's kind of like a steak. I like steak, <laughs> steak is delicious. Ah, but if you leave a steak outside of a refrigerator for too long, the elements corrupt it. And that doesn't mean that the steak is evil. Because if someone was to eat that steak that had been exposed to the elements, it would be corrupted. That doesn't make steak evil. It's often asked, well, why if there's a God around that, that, that we have this messed up world and all of these bad things happening? And it's not that these bad things are happening that God causes them, but the earth is corrupted. Amen. Now, that's an okay analogy, the stake being corrupted by the elements. But here's where the analogy falls short. Once that stake has been spoiled, there is no redeeming for it. You can't drop that steak on the, on the skillet and fry it up and then all of that infection and bacteria that was on it go away. That steak will still make you sick. So that is where the analogy falls short. But the difference is, is this world can be redeemed. This world has been redeemed by the work of Christ on the cross. He went to Calvary for us and took your sins and my sins and all of them and put them on the cross. So while that stake can't be redeemed because it was corrupted by the elements, this world can be redeemed by the work of the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been running around a lot of new age people that kind of make me uncomfortable sometimes. They have a problem with the mentioning of blood when it comes to the things of Jesus Christ. But what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So how can we have a problem talking about blood when it is the very thing that saves our sin, souls from sin? And so blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. All of the evil that's going on in the world, everything that's going around, they will be comforted. I'm reminded of Isaiah 40 when he talks about it and I see that the prophecy is being fulfilled where he says, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. But she is received from the Lord double for all her sins. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make a straight way in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. 
Every mountain shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places made smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and the flesh shall see it together. Those who mourn about the injustice, this too shall pass. It doesn't matter who's in charge at the school board. It doesn't matter who's in charge at the city. It doesn't matter who's in charge of the country. No matter what kind of decisions that are being made, God is still on the throne. And every mountain shall be made low. Every valley shall be exalted and every crooked place shall be made straight. We just have to wait on it. But when we wait, there's an active waiting to it. Uh, the definition says that we're waiting on something or in delay, but it also, there's another definition that means an attendance or participation in court. So while we wait, we don't just stand around not doing anything, sitting on our thumbs. We got to be involved. We got to be active. We got to participate. We got to not return evil for evil. You can't outbeat evil people doing evil stuff. You have to get involved. And then it says that blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. God blesses the gentle and the lowly. To be meek is to restrain one's privilege for the sake of others. Uh, when they say that a, a wild horse is meek, they have tamed it. So that it's able to be, to, to be ridden. That horse has not lost its strength. It's just redirected it. That horse is still as strong as it ever needs to be. But it's just not wasting its energy. And so when we look at the weak, those are people who, the meek rather, those that want no part in the world's trapping for power. It's just an attitude, an understanding of your place in the world and the people of God. And the whole earth will belong to them. Why? Because you can't bribe them. You can't influence them. When you are uh, uh, in the world but not of the world, those trappings in the world will not be able to get you off kilter. You'll be able to, to focus on what God has in store for you. You won't get mad and rocked to and fro by every little thing that comes around. When they talk about the meek, those are people who still have the strength, just found out a better way to use it. I don't have a problem with marching and protesting. And sometimes it is actually needed. But I've just grown up in a place where I've seen more things happen in a boardroom than I saw happen on a blacktop. And so we have to figure out how to better use our strength when we see something that we don't like and be able to take it to the boardroom and get it in writing and get it changed. Ah, that's being meek. Keeping your strength under control and using it correctly. But the meek shall inherit the earth, the Bible says, and delight themselves in an abundance of peace. Ah, for the promise of God is that the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, but through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Blessed are the meek. You still have to do something. Every time there's been a miracle performed in the Bible, there's been instructions to be followed. There was something that had to be done. You didn't just sit on it and wait for everything to come to you and fall in your lap. All the way back to Abraham or Abram when we are in Genesis 12, 1 and 3, it says, The Lord said to Abram, 
get out from your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and all the families all the uh, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham is so great that three different religions try to claim lineage to him. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all want to be the sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. It says the word says that he will bless those who blessed them and curse those who cursed them. But in that blessing, the first thing Abraham had to do was get out of his country. He had to get out of what he'd known. He had to get out of whatever tradition he was used to. He had to get out of what he was normally doing. If you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you always got. We have to figure out better ways to use our energy. And he tells them to get out of his nation. And he'll bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. They say that the one definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We want the blessings, but we also, in order to get the blessings, have to get out of our comfort zones. It's hard to wait. I can sympathize. When I say I'm hungry, it's already too late. But we have microwaves. We have instant meals. We have instant education. We have instant entertainment. Uh On demand, I have grown a disdain for commercials. I want to fast forward past them. I don't want to watch commercials. We've got this society that prevents us from waiting because everything happens like this. We have little devices in our pocket that allow us to reach out to people all over the world. Just a few thumb, uh, just a few types on your thumb, and you can find out all the information you want. Everything is instant, but we ought to be able to wait. Ah, blessed are the meek, those who use their strength under control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses those who seek after justice. Those who seek to see what's right in the world. One of my professors, a theologian uh, by the name of Theodore Walker, said that the liberation struggle is inevitable because people never get used to being oppressed. When you realize what's going on, when you realize what's going on, you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That is what we are supposed to be doing. Uh, the, I'm reminded of Matthew 22, give or take, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees asked Jesus a question to test them. And they said, teacher, which of all the laws is the greatest? And he said, you should love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. On these two laws hang all the, uh, all the laws and the prophets. They asked him for the best, which one was the best, and he gave them two. We need to love the Lord and love the people. Do you truly love the people if you walk past them like they don't exist? Do you truly love the Lord and love the people 
if when other people are suffering, you don't at least empathize with what's going on. For how can you love God who you have never seen when you don't love your neighbor who you see every day? We are always somebody's interpretation of a Christian. We are always somebody's perception of a Christian. We are always somebody's Bible that they are reading. What are they reading when they read you? Ah, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, we have uh, been hoodwinked bamboozled, run amok, every other quote from the Malcolm X movie when it comes to how our faith is represented. Where you are on either one of these issues is not the point what I bring it up, but I just bring it up to say that we have gotten to the point where some people think that the only things Christians should be concerned about is abortion, same-sex marriage, and what bathroom somebody uses. Those are not the only things that a Christian should be concerned about. Ah, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was naked, you clothed me. Uh, uh, There are thousands and thousands of scriptures about how you treat your fellow man. And so while we out here fighting about these things, those other things are overlooked. Did you know the Bible says woe to those who prescribe laws that affect the children bad in Isaiah? I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that because then we talk about, ah, don't get political, pastor. And I'm really not getting political right now, but I have a problem when I hear the phrase, don't get political, pastor. Because every time I hear the phrase, don't get political, pastor, it's about something that affects those who look like me. That's it. Amen. Amen. Uh, We are a part of the United Methodist Church. Can I talk for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, The United Methodist Church used to be split. When it was called the Methodist Episcopal Church South and the Methodist Episcopal Church North, you know what they split over? Slavery. And when some of the people like John Wesley and some of the others said, no, you can't really be a part of this church claiming that you love Jesus if you out here whipping the people. You can't be loving Jesus and loving your neighbor if you own other people. And so the church actually split over this. And you know what they said at the Methodist Church, the Methodist Episcopal Church South? Stay out of politics. Focus on the spiritual. So I have a problem when I hear that. That makes me bristle. But as long as the pastor was talking about how they weren't human or slaves obey your masters, all of a sudden it's good. So those of us, when we, when we have this, blessed are those who have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We ought to thirst for the justice of others. Yeah. Amos said, let justice run down like water Amen. and righteousness like a mighty stream. Yes. We ought to have a hunger and thirst for what's right. Yeah. God is not a Republican. Nope. God is not a Democrat. Nope. God is not an independent. God is not a libertarian. God is not a green party. God is all of that. And we should be able to stand on the word of God and speak truth to power no matter what's going on. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there is something about the name Jesus. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ah, God, blessed blessed are those who are merciful. Ah, those that are eager to aid those in need. Uh, When they talk about mercy in the Bible, they talk about concrete acts. I can't just go by somebody and say, be fed and clothed and warm in the name of Jesus and roll my window up and keep moving. <laughs> what are we doing? Yes. Mercy is not a feeling. Mercy is an action. Yes, it is. I said it in Matthew 25. I quoted it before. I said again, for when I was hungry, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And I was a stranger. You took me in. Naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me and in prison and you came to me and the righteous answered him saying, Lord, when were you hungry? And we fed you a thirsty and we gave you drink or saw you a stranger and took you in a naked and clothed you and saw you sick or in prison and came to you and the king shall say, answer them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch have you have done to the least of my brethren, you have done it to me. That ain't me, that ain't Johnny, that's Jesus. How you treat other people is what Jesus is looking for. Ah, bless the merciful. Bless those who are pure in heart. God blesses those whose heart are pure. They single-handedly pursue the will of God and not just avoiding certain things or thoughts. It's more about what they say and being undivided, focused on other things. You know, I, 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 I see it time and time again when I watch sports. Winners focus on their goals. Losers focus on the winners. <laughs> I see time and time again when I watch someone as successful as a Bill Belichick. I'm not a Patriots fan. But every time I hear this man do an interview, he's always focused on the next thing. People want to talk about some sort of locker room rift or fight or something somebody said to the media. He's saying, we're on to the next team. When they ask him about what this person said or that person said, he says, I'm not really thinking about them. I'm focused on making my team the best prepared for what's going on. And people try to rock him back and forth off of those things that he gets Super Bowl after Super Bowl and AFC Championship after AFC Championship and is one of the most productive coaches and most successful coaches of all time. Still not a Patriots fan, but he's one of the most successful ones of all time. But every time I see him, he is focused. I look at a Nick Saban and that monstrosity he has created in Alabama. And every time the same thing, when they try to talk about what else is going on outside of his own locker room, he's focused on preparing for the game. I look at Olympian swimmer Michael Phelps, and there's a great picture of him a half a body length ahead of his latest competitor. He's looking forward, and his loser is looking at him. If only we could take that same sort of approach with the things of God. If we could not be worried about what's going on on the outside and stay focused. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to know what's going on in the world. Some of the greatest theologians say that we need a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, and we need to pray from both. But what we give the priority is what matters. Pure in heart and focus. Philippians 3 says, brethren, I do not count myself apprehended, but of one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. And they will see God. Not in some mystical vision. 
but in our day-to-day operations. Uh, 1 Corinthians says in 13, 12, for we see now in a mirror, dimly, but face to face, then face to face. I know in part then that I shall know as I have also known. And Revelations 22 says they shall see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. When you are looking ahead towards the things of God, you'll be pure in heart and focused. And then it says, blessed are the peacemakers. God blesses those who work for peace. Even against their own personal interests, they will be called the children of God. But it says, God blesses the peacemakers, not the peace keepers. God blesses the peacemakers, not the peace keepers. The peace Keepers are those who stop people from fighting. Usually with a lot of military force or a wall or some other way to divide the people. Peace keepers keep people from fighting. Peace makers actively search for a settlement or resolution. Peacemakers may have to have those rough conversations. Peacemakers may have to get the two people who disagree with each other in the same room so that they can air out their conflicts and their grievances and reach a resolution. Peacekeeping is fragile. Peacemaking is hard, but it comes with a solid resolution. Amen? Amen. And it says that those peacemakers will be called the children of God. I can't think of any organization, can you, where people might come in and sit next to each other and hold grudges for years on end? I, I can't think of any right now. I don't know, maybe y'all might when you get home or something like that, where, where, where people will hold a grudge and not, nece- not necessarily sit down and talk it out. I, mean, I, I was trying to think of one for the sermon, but I couldn't come up with one. Maybe, maybe y'all will come up with one on your own at home. I'll, I'll leave that alone. And then it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Ah, when you are doing something good, you can expect some opposition. Uh, basketball and football alike, they try to stop the person who is the biggest threat to score. You get tackled when you're trying to carry the ball to the end zone. They don't want you to score, so there's going to be some sort of opposition. Uh, The Bible did not say that we are going to have this this walk-through-the-park life. The Bible says that man born of a woman's days are few and full of trouble. The Bible says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, there's a way to get through it. But it's not going to be easy in all of that way. And so we ought to be able to actively wait while those things are going on. Has thou not known? Has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the creator, the ends of the earth fainteth not? Neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. But he gives power to the faint. And to them who have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, but the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. So while we are waiting on our reward, understanding that this too shall pass, 
we'll be able to have that strength to get forward. We'll be able to focus and understand that with faith, without faith rather, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We need that faith to hold on. My son, forget not my laws, but let my heart keep thy commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart and thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of both God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. I can trust in the Lord no matter who's in office. I can trust in the Lord when my bank account is full or my bank account is empty. I can trust in the Lord when the kids is acting up or when they act perfect. I can trust in the Lord no matter what goes on. It don't matter who's in office. It don't matter what's going on. I'm going to trust in the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.